You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, so before we take another step into um, our text in Genesis uh, chapter 3, I I first want to sort of take a step back and consider the Bible's story as a whole. Uh, If you wanted to summarize Genesis through Revelation, you can do that in four words. And this is the sort of four-word summary you could use to describe the whole of the Bible. It would go like this. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Those four words cover the entire sort of biblical terrain. So first, it's creation. And creation's an amazing word, uh, right? Uh, It's the moment where God's heart just bursting with love spills out and over and onto the canvas of creation. And everything that we see was created. It's an amazing moment. If you skip to that, a third word, redemption, it's the moment where God comes back in the person of Jesus uh, to set everything that's broken aright, right? Everything that's crooked, he is committed to fix. Uh, He's starting that sort of, of work of fixing everything and rescuing for himself a people. That's redemption and then restoration. Uh, God will one day come back and he's going to finish what he started. If you're in Christ, your future is so, so bright. If you're in Christ, there's a day when you're going to step into this future that God has prepared for you, and it is going to absolutely dazzle your heart. Now, that's three of the four words, and those three words, creation, redemption, and restoration, they sort of take us up to the high peaks of the story that are just amazing. From those vantage points of the story, it is just a sight to behold. We love those words, creation, redemption, restoration. But there's a fourth word in there, and that fourth word is fall. Now, when we say the fall, that that is a simple summary of Genesis chapter 3, of what happened when our first parents ate that forbidden fruit. And it really is impossible to overstate the catastrophe of Genesis 3, of what happens in the fall. It was the moment where sin rushed into God's beautiful creation, breaking everything. If you want it maybe in an image, think about uh, a couple who um, designs a house. And this house is amazing. I mean, it's the walls are going to go there. The windows are there. This is the paint color. This is uh, all the things that go into making a house. They're designing everything. Then they pour their blood, sweat, and tears in seeing this house come out of the ground. And now it's made. And then they step into the house and they live in it. They're living in the house. It's the first week of being in the house. And then they come back to the house after being gone. And they find a pack of teenagers in the house sledgehammers, baseball bats, a carload of spray paint, and they're just vandalizing everything, breaking everything. That's Genesis 3. That's a faint picture of what's happening in the fall as sin comes in and breaks everything, everything. It's all broken. Now, remember, these early chapters of Genesis give us a world view. 
they give us a way of seeing and understanding this world that we inhabit. So they're asking all the big questions and answering all the big questions for us in these early chapters. Who is God? What is God like? Where do we come from? What is marriage? What does it mean to be created male and female? All of these huge questions are getting answered. Uh, questions like, what is wrong with this world? Th that is answered in Genesis uh, chapter 3. Right? The, the Bible's answer to what is wrong with this world. Like the, the next time darkness descends in your life, and darkness can come in a million different forms. It can come in the form of a lost job, of wayward children, of an unexpected death, of divorce, a loss of relationship, a hurtful word. It, I mean, the darkness in this world is just so varied and so vast. But the next time it comes and you ask the question, where did it come from? Why is that in God's beautiful creation? The Bible's answer is the fall. The Bible's answer is Genesis chapter 3. That's where all of these things came from. As the fruit went into our first parents, hell literally rushed out. And if you read forward into the biblical story, it's amazing how fast the descent down into darkness occurred. Right? Just reading forward from Genesis chapter 3, Every single page of the scriptures is stained red. Now today, here's the thing we get to sort of look at inside of the passage that we're dealing with. We get to see what happens first. So sin rushes out, right? Sin happens. Sin starts doing what sin does. And we get to see what is its first effects. Uh, not what effect 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, not all of that, but what is its first effect? That's what we're seeing in this passage. So I want to just take this passage in two parts. Uh, part one is what sin does. Part two is what God does. What sin does, what God does. That's what we're seeing in this passage, in the immediate effects of the fall, of sin being introduced into God's creation. So part one, what sin does. Now, one of the temptation, or one of the lies that temptation preaches goes something like this. You can sin and you can remain in control of that sin. That's one of the lies that temptation often preaches to us. This is what's happening uh, in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, the serpent comes to Eve and says, hey, I know that God said you would die. But do you really think that's going to happen? I mean, do you really think that's going to be the play out? The temptation is, Eve, you can do whatever you want, and Eve, it is going to be okay on the back end of this. It's all going to turn out all right after you do it. Eve, you can sin and remain in control of that sin. Um, Eve, you can sin, and there is no way in the next chapter in the Bible that your son Cain is going to kill your son Abel. No way that's going to happen. Um, Eve, you can sin, and there is no way like three more chapters down the, the, the way that dark, uh, humanity is going to descend into such darkness that God's going to flood the earth in judgment. Eve, there's no way these things will happen. You can sin and remain in control of your sin. But the scriptures want us to see up front that once we say yes to sin, we lose control. Uh, because sin is, um, maybe you could think of it like a caged animal, 
like a caged lion. We'll use a lion as an illustration. Uh, and that imagery actually appears in Genesis chapter 4 when God is dealing with Cain. He says, uh, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It is like a, it is like a predator at your do door, and its desire is contrary to you. It wants to eat you, Cain. It is like a caged lion. And once you open the cage, you're going to need a little more than a good right jab to put it back in. I, I mean, it is a lion. And once that lion is out, that lion of sin, it does not what you want it to do. It does what it wants to do. And here is what we see sin doing first. What does sin do first? Well, here's the way we might summarize it. Here's the first effect. Sin affects our standing. When the lion comes out of the cage, here's the first thing it eats, our standing. Sin affects our standing. Look at verse 6. <clears throat> so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now, we need to do a little bit of work on that word naked. Imagine for a moment you were in Genesis chapter 2. You're just a fly on the wall. You're observing everything that's going on in Genesis chapter 2. Well, here is what you would have observed. You would have observed our first parents, Adam and Eve. They would have been running around the garden, having the time of their lives. It was amazing in Genesis chapter 2. And they would have been doing all of that in their birthday suit. It was all natural in Genesis chapter 2. That's what you would have seen going on if you could have been a fly on the wall there in the garden in Genesis chapter 2. Now, when you get to Genesis chapter 3 verse 7, nothing has changed. Externally, they're still all natural, right? They're, they're still sporting the birthday suit. So we know that this word naked cannot mean uh, like their external appearance. It cannot be the sort of physical attributes. That, that's not what it's describing. Rather, it is pointing to this internal spiritual dynamic. So when I say that sin affects our standing, here's what I mean. It's that internal sense. I mean that our first parents with that first sin lost that sense of presentability before God. That's what was lost. That's what it means when it says they were naked, that they lost their presentability. So if you think back again to Genesis chapter 2, at the end of Genesis 2, we read these words about our first parents. They were naked and they were unashamed. Naked and unashamed. It's, it's going great and they're all natural, right? It's amazing for them. Now, what does that mean? That's the Bible's way of saying that Adam and Eve were fully known by God, and at the same time, they were fully loved by God, fully accepted by God, fully delighted in by God. Uh, we could use these sort of big biblical words to describe that. Uh, the Bible would say words like this. They were righteous before God. They had a sense of presentability before God. Uh, they were justified before God. In Genesis 2, they were secure before God. Their standing was secure. 
They were examined down into the depths of their soul and the most influential voice in the universe pronounced over them a verdict. And here was the verdict. Approved. They are accepted by me. That's Genesis 2. And Genesis 2 is showing us that in many ways, God has hardwired every human heart, like the heart of our first parents and every other human heart. He's hardwired our hearts to hear that verdict, approved, accepted, fully known and fully loved, accepted, delighted in. Now, here is what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Our first parents lost the very thing their hearts were made to hear. With that first sin, our first parents felt something new. They felt naked. They felt exposed. They felt insecure. They felt, maybe words like, ashamed. They now knew that something was wrong. Something was different. They now felt deep down in their bones, I am no longer okay. This is not good. I I, I don't feel okay anymore. That sense of presentability, known by God, this verdict over their life, accepted, approved, delighted in, that sense of presentability that they'd enjoyed all of their lives was lost. Because of their rebellion, that that verdict that their hearts were made to hear, accepted, approved, had changed to rejected, no longer accepted. Now, let me pause here and make sure, I want to make sure you hear the, the next statement. So make sure you're looking at me and you're listening for this next statement. In Genesis 3, the Bible is not just presenting Adam and Eve's story. It is presenting the human story. It's not just their story. This is your story. So so just like Adam and Eve, they, they lost the verdict that they were made to hear. Right? Just like that happened to them, that has happened to us. Now, a lot of times when we read the Bible... Uh, we read it thinking, you know, I just, I don't think the Bible's asking and answering the sort of questions that my heart is asking and want answers for. I just, I don't think that it's relevant. I just want to look at it and say, that's not true. It, the Bible is answering the very questions your heart can't help but ask and want answers for. Qu- questions like, am I okay? Every human being east of Eden is asking those type of questions. Am I okay? Am I good enough? Do I measure up? If people could see all the way down into my soul, all that's there, all that's not there, what would people think? What if they knew all of me? What what would people even do with that? And behind those questions are the mega questions. What does God think about me? With all that I've done and left undone, will God ever be okay with me? Is there any way that God could ever look at me knowing all of me and like me, even love me? Is is there any way that could ever be possible? Those are human questions. Every human being east of Eden is asking those questions. It's not just Adam and Eve. 
This is the human experience. These are the the deep questions rumbling around in every human heart. Why is that? Because sin affects our standing. Because of that first sin and our sin, we have lost that sense of presentability. We've lost our standing. We've lost our righteousness before God. But that's not the only thing sin does. Sin does affect our standing. It's the first thing that happens in this passage. But sin has more to give us. Sin doesn't just affect our standing. Sin also affects the way we deal with sin. Isn't that ironic? That sin affects the way we deal with sin. Because sin isn't something that just sort of stays out there and it's other people's problems and it's the world and it's all, it's all out. No, sin is not just out there. Sin has also um, cut a hole right down into the bottom places of our heart and set up a home deep down in here. And because sin also lives deep down in here, it affects the way we deal with everything in the world, including sin. Sin affects the way that, that we deal with sin. So let's think about this story for a moment. What should we have read in this story? So let's just play the game here. In verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Now, what should come next? If we're just giving like, this is what we would have loved to have seen happen, what would that be in this moment? What would we, um, what would we have loved to have seen Adam and Eve do with their sin and that sense of nakedness and that loss of presentability? What would we love to see? Well, wouldn't we all love to see in this moment, and Adam and Eve, they came to God with a bleeding heart repenting to God, confessing what they had done, coming to the one person who could help them and heal them. That's what we would love to see happen in Genesis 3, isn't it? But that's not what we read. Because what sin does to us affects what we do with it. It's just a good thing for you to know about your life. What sin has done to you is going to affect what you do with sin. So rather than seeing repentance, here's what we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Next phrase. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Here's the first response we see to sin. This is how sin affects how they are dealing with sin. Here's the first response we see. They covered themselves. They covered themselves. What they lost with that first sin, that sense of presentability. What they lost, they instantly got to work trying to regain apart from God. That's what we see happening. They took some fig leaves and they turned those leaves into clothes. Now, obviously, this is much bigger than fig leaves, right? Those fig leaves are a stand-in. It's, it's, it's opening up a window for us to see what human beings do with sin. So just think about the narrative again. Here's, here's the narrative. Here's the story that Genesis 3 is trying to show us. Our first parents lost their sense of presentability. That loss was unbearable to them. That sense of exposure and nakedness and, and a lack of presentability, they just couldn't stand it. So what do they instantly do? They instantly get about the work apart from God of patching up a new sense of presentability, 
I don't feel okay, so what am I going to do to feel okay today? I don't feel presentable, so what am I going to do to make myself presentable to myself, to other people, to God? They instantly got about that work. Now, again, let me make this point. This isn't just what our first parents did. This is what we do. Genesis 3, in this passage, in verse 7, it is explaining what is driving so much of our lives. It's explaining what we're doing and why we're doing it. We are all about this work of patching up this presentability, just like our first parents. We were made to be fully known and fully loved. But we all feel that sin-created nakedness. Like, if someone looks at me long enough and deeply enough, they are going to find things that I don't want them to find. If God looks at me long enough and deep enough, he's going to see things I don't want him to see. If I look at myself long enough and deep enough, I, I'm going to find things that I don't want to see. So I'm just going to avoid all of those things, right? I'm going to run from all of those things. I'm going to do whatever it takes to patch up this new sense of presentability. So like our first parents, we get about the work. What, what do I need to do today to, to make God good, to make others feel good about me, and to make me feel better about me? But what do I need to do for that to happen? This story is showing us that we are all on the quest of regaining the presentability that we lost in the garden. Uh, Blaise Pascal calls this the disinherited prince syndrome. And that's his way of saying that every human being has this faint memory of being a prince, fully known by God and loved and delighted and accepted by God. That every human being has that faint remembrance of that. And we're all running about, you know, in our lives trying to regain what we lost. Now, there are as many ways to do this as there are human stories. We can make fig leaves out of anything. But we can, we can make anything we do um, into clothes trying to patch up our sense of presentability. We, we can use fame for that. If I can just be big enough, then I'll feel okay. Uh, we, we can use accomplishment for that. It's been one of my drugs of choice over the years. If we can just accomplish enough and do enough, then to God we'll be okay, to other people we'll be a somebody, to ourselves we'll be okay. We can use money. We can turn money into a fig leaf. If I can just show the world that I'm successful enough by what I have, by how much I have, then deep down I'll feel okay about me. The world will be okay. I'll feel deep down like I measure up. Possessions can become fig leaves. If I can have a nice enough car, if I can have a nice enough house, beauty can be a fig leaf. If I can just look good enough, then I'll feel okay. But when I look in the mirror, all I see is unpresentability. So if I can just figure out how to be able to look in the mirror and see something I like, just looking good, then I'll measure up. Relationships can be fig leaves. If I can just know the right people, be in the right circles, all the important people are my friends, then 
I'll be okay. And ironically enough, even religious things can be fig leaves. In a lot of ways, this is the beef Jesus has with the religious leaders of his day. They are doing moral religious things for all the wrong reasons. They're praying and they're fasting and they're doing all the right things in an effort to patch up their presentability, in an effort to try to be a somebody, to try to measure up, to be okay in God's eyes, other people's eyes, their own eyes. That was their problem. And it's our problem. It's not just what our first parents were doing. It's not just what the Pharisees were doing. It's what we do. Uh, let me say it this way. If you aren't trusting Jesus to restore your presentability, you are trusting something else. Now, okay, let me take this a step further even. You are not reading this passage in the way that the Lord wants you to read this passage if all you do is leave it with, oh, this is what Adam and Eve were doing. No. He wants you to read this passage and see what they were doing and then look yourself in the mirror and figure out how are you doing this? What are you looking to in your life to try to regain that presentability? To try to ease that ache in you? That feeling of exposure and shame and nakedness. What are you doing to try to ease that ache? And even for those who are in Christ, we could say it this way. Even if you're trusting Jesus to restore your presentability, because sin is so pervasive in us all, affecting the way we deal with sin, right? Because it's so pervasive in us all, you're likely also trusting something else right now for some of that presentability too. Even if you're trusting Jesus, you're likely diversifying your portfolio of presentability. Yes, I'll take a dusting of Jesus, but I'll take a dusting of fame. I'll take a dusting of money and possessions. I'll take a dusting of, of beauty. And then I put all those together and I, I kind of feel okay today. Right? So I, I just want to make sure you have space to consider this today. This, this is explaining so much of what is driving us on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just our lives and if you don't have answers to these, you are missing so many of the problems, the fleshy sort of drives in you that the Lord would want you to see. They hid them, or they covered themselves. It's not just what they do. It's what we do. But that's not all they did. Here's their second response. Yes, they covered themselves. And secondly, they hid. They hid themselves. Look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Again, just put yourself back in the garden. You're the fly on the wall. You just get to observe everything that's happening. And you see the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And then you see Adam and Eve. And as soon as they hear the Lord, they run and hide. They hide from the only one, the very one, 
who could heal them, who could help them. Why did they hide? Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Okay, I want you to just see the logic that we're seeing in verse 9. They felt naked, exposed, right? They lost that sense of presentability before the Lord. And I want you to notice their stellar new fashion line, right? 100% fig leaves, their new clothes, that, that new fashion line, it didn't work. Man-made clothes will never cover that lack of presentability. It will not work. And I, I want to just look at you and say that to you. Every one of us in here today are trying to patch up some presentability. We've got a fashion line going. And this is like one of the questions we need to answer. It's like, what is my fashion line? What is my drug of choice when it comes to patching up my presentability? And I just want you to know, whatever it is, it will not work. Man-made clothes will not patch up that lack of presentability. It's part of what we're learning here. So that nakedness that even their fig leaves couldn't cover led to fear. Or we might put in there insecurity. The God they had spent all of their lives enjoying no longer felt safe to them. I mean, it's just, it's so sad. They didn't want God to take a deep, long look in their lives. They didn't want to take a deep, long look in their life. They definitely didn't want anyone else to take a deep, long look in their lives. Their nakedness led to fear and insecurity, and that fear and insecurity led to hiding. They found themselves hiding in the trees, wondering, is it safe to come out? What's going to happen if I come out? Is it safe over there in the light? What's, what's going what's to happen if I leave these trees and, and, and move over there? Now, again, this isn't just what our first parents did. This is what we do. Humanity has made a home over in the trees hiding. This is just what people east of Eden do. This is one way to describe the posture with which most people are living their lives. They're over in the trees Hiding, wondering, is it safe to come out? What's going to happen if I come out from these trees? What's going to happen if I come out of this sort of home that I've made over here hiding? For instance, this morning, there is no telling how many of us in this room, they're watching online. We're sitting here today, and we have absolutely blown it. We've sinned in all sorts of ways, and we know it. And we feel such a deep insecurity about that, that we are hiding among the trees. We are terrified to bring that sin out to the Lord, out into the light. We're terrified to bring that sin out to trusted community. And and friends, it will only be helped and only be healed in the light. Your sin in the dark will never be healed. 
And there we are over in the trees knowing that sin is everywhere. I mean, we feel it, we know it. It just takes like three questions and we're thinking all about it. And there we are in the trees hiding, wondering if we come out and walk into the light, what we die out there. It feels so scary. And today, part of what Jesus is looking at us and saying, he's looking at us just with such an open, loving, tender heart toward us and saying, will you please come out of hiding? Would you please come out of the trees? Would you please walk into the light? I won't shame you. I won't embarrass you. I will love you and heal you if you would come out of hiding. These are really the only two options in the Bible. Option one, you can hide. Psalm 32 describes it. Psalm 32, verse 3. Uh, the psalmist says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. That's what happens in the trees as we hide. Just the insides of us begin to shrink and shrivel. Our bones begin to waste away. Here's your other option. You can come out into the light. Here it is, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that is God saying, if you would just leave the trees and you would come out into the light, you know what I would do? I, you would just find my heart bursting with grace for your sin. I would just swallow your sin whole with my grace and I would give, you know, that lack of presentability, that unrighteousness that you feel, I would actually give you a new set of clothes. I would make you righteous again. I would give you the presentability that you long for. So would you just come into the light? That is the offer that Jesus is making to all of us today. Every hider in the room, which is like all of us, God is looking at us and saying, would you please come out to me? Would you come out into the light and let me heal you? I would love to do that for you today. They covered themselves. They hid. And then we see a third response. They blamed. They blamed. Now, this would be, um, this would be comical if it wasn't so sad. I mean, you can't help but in some ways chuckle when you read this passage. Look at verse 11. He, talking about God, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Then Adam said, The woman whom you gave to, to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Adam looks at God and says, God, are, are we doing like the blame game here? Is that what we're doing? Because, okay, if that's what we're doing, first of all, I don't know if I need to remind you of this, but you gave me the woman. And God, if we're doing the blame game, I think there is a dusting of it that goes to you and the rest goes to her. It's her fault. Is this not crazy? This is crazy, but it's not just Adam. Eve gets her turn. Look at verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, God, if we're playing the blame game, if that's what we're doing, 
that, that I'll tell you where the blame goes. The serpent deceived me and I ate. This is not just what our first parents did. This is what we do. East of Eden, human beings just sort of come by it honestly. If you're a parent, you have seen this play out with your kids 47,000 times. But if you're also aware of your own life and you pay attention to your own life, you've also seen it play out 47,000 times in you. God, if we're playing the blame game, I'll start to tell you whose fault it is. I mean, I got a long list of, of faults out there, people with faults. A lot, a lot of blame to spread out. This is one of the reasons Jesus says, you know, hey, uh, you might want to think about that log in your own eye before you think about the specks in other people's eyes. Because he knows innately, this is what sin does to us. It innately makes us so much more aware of their problems than our own problems. It makes us innately think, no, if somebody's to blame, it's them, not me. I mean, don't you feel that in interpersonal moments? When fault is about to be a sign, I'll tell you whose fault it is, not mine. <laughs> Theirs. That, that's whose fault it is. It's not just what our first parents did, it's what we do. When is the last time you heard a politician stand up after completely blowing it and say, there is no one else to blame. This is my fault. You know the reason it's comical? Because you know you'd never hear it. But again, this isn't just what politicians do. This is what we do. For those who are married, when is the last time you've looked at your spouse and said, what I just did is not your fault? The way I just reacted, it doesn't matter what you did, the way I just reacted, it is my fault. It is sinful. Would you forgive me? Parents, when's the last time you looked at one of your kids and said, how I just responded to you, it is not your fault. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter what you did. The way I responded to you is what the Bible calls sin. And would you please forgive me for that? When's the last time you've had that sort of a moment with a coworker, with a friend, the neighbor? Sin affects the way that we deal with sin. It makes us professional coverers. Hiders, blamers. But thankfully, sin doesn't get the last word in Genesis chapter 3. God does. So this passage does show us what sin does. It's like the uncaged lion doing what the lion of sin does. But that's not the only actor in Genesis 3. Sin's doing things, but God also does some things. So what does God do? Well, this passage gives us our first glimpses of the good news of Jesus. So just picture this scene in Genesis 3 again. Right here's the scene. Our first parents have completely blown it. And after blowing it, they are trying to like patch up that lost sense of presentability. They have made a new home over there in the trees and they're hiding. Right? They are blaming everyone. God wanted everyone else uh, for blowing it. Right? So, so that's the game they're playing. It is an all-out mess in Genesis 3. I mean, it is ugly. 
And in the middle of the mess, God comes to us. He doesn't leave Adam and Eve in their sin. He approaches them, comes to them, comes after them. Do you remember those parables in Luke 15? Luke 15 is trying to show us what God is like. Here's what God is like. It's like this woman who lost a coin in her house, and she just tears the house to shreds trying to find that lost coin. Here's what God is like. He's like this shepherd who loses one of his sheep, and he leaves the 99, and he does whatever it takes to go and find that one lost sheep. He's like this dad. He's got this son that goes into the far country just just living terribly. And every day the dad is just praying and hoping that this would be the day where the son comes home. And one day the dad's on the front porch and he sees his son in the distance. He's finally come to his senses. He's coming home. And as soon as he sees him, the dad runs out to meet him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He comes back and celebrates him. That's our God who comes after us in the mess of our sin, even in the catastrophe of our sin. Doesn't matter what your catastrophe is, God comes after us. He comes to us. But he doesn't just come to us. God also covers us. Later in Genesis chapter 3, we read this in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Think about what we're seeing there. God slaughters an innocent animal. And then he replaced Adam and Eve's man-made covering that wouldn't work with his God-made covering. With his new God-given clothes. It's our first picture of what God would send his innocent son, Jesus, to do. Fast forward to the New Testament, and we meet Jesus, God the Son. And Jesus lived perfectly. Everywhere we have fallen, Jesus stood. Then Jesus died the death that we should have died. There on the cross, the innocent one slain for the guilty. All our sin. All our failures, all our inadequacies, all of our dark thoughts, all of our pride, all of our lust, all of our greed shackled to the innocent Son of God. All that's wrong with you given to Jesus. All that's right with Jesus given to you. And when we let go of our fig leaves and we come with the empty hands of faith, God clothes us. He covers us with the perfect record of Jesus' righteousness. That's what gets the last word in Genesis chapter 3. That's what we're seeing God do. Friends, the story of grace starts right there in Genesis 3, in the midst of the catastrophe of sin. That's our big-hearted God. Would you pray with me? I want to give you a moment to let the Lord speak to you, to press down into you the things that would be most helpful today.
I can't help but think there are many of us here today who God is looking at and just with such a tender heart he's asking you today will you come out of hiding will you come out of hiding will you leave the trees and come out into the light where help and healing can be found? Would you bring your sin to me? Would you bring it to some trusted community? And would you allow me to heal you, help you today? I would love to do that. If you'll just take that first step toward me, you're going to find my heart just leaping toward you today. Would you come out of hiding? For others, the Lord's looking at you and saying, would you drop the fig leaves? They're not going to work. They're not going to work. Would you let go of your man-made clothes? Whatever your fig leaves are, however you're trying to patch up that lost sense of presentability, but would, you, would you drop those fig leaves? Would you let them go? And would you come to me with the empty hands of faith? And would you let me clothe you today? I've got beautiful clothes for you. They're the only clothes that can ease that deep ache in your heart, that can satisfy those deep rumblings inside of you. Would you let, would you let me give you a new set of clothes today? Jesus' clothes, his perfect record of righteousness and some uh, today this is the moment where God is asking you calling you to take that first decisive step where you turn from your sin and you throw your life upon him and if that's you there where you are run to him today he is inviting you he would just love to rescue and redeem you today so father would you have your way in us Father, would you meet us here now? And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen.